Welcome to Critics Not Cynics, the podcast that tries to prove that you can be a critic without being a cynic. And what you just heard was a trailer for an upcoming um, indie horror film called The Night Sitter. And uh, the basic premise for The Night Sitter is uh, Night Sitter fixes on a scheming con artist that poses as an innocent babysitter to steal from a wealthy occult enthusiast. Just as the thief arrives to clean out the house, the homeowner's reclusive son stumbles upon one of his father's artifacts and unwittingly summons a trio of witches known as the Three Mothers. As the playful, sadistic witches start picking people off, the humans form an unlikely bond and try to survive the night together. And The Night Shifter will be available on August 6th on DVD and video on demand from Uncorked Entertainment. Um, so I'd recommend go giving that a look on YouTube to watch the full trailer and to see the images. It looks pretty interesting, and hopefully um, I'll get a chance to get a screener or get a chance to watch it when it goes on demand. Uh, it looks really interesting, and the fact that the witches are called the Three Mothers wonders it, uh, makes me wonder if there's any kind of allusion to our, uh, Dario Argento's uh, Three Mothers um you know, story that uh, is with Suspiria um, and Inferno, and right now the the last film in his um, uh, story or trilogy is, is escaping my mind right now. But I know it starred his daughter, uh, Asia Argento. Um, so, in August, give that film a a look, and um, we'll probably review it here on the podcast. And one other thing before we get into the main chunk of, of the episode today, um, I want to read an excerpt from a, a book that will be um, published. I don't know exactly when it's going to be published, but I've been um, going back and forth with the author on um, an email right now, and he asked me to talk about the book. Uh, he sent me a, a portion of the manuscript, and... Uh, and wanted to talk about it on the podcast and, and when it gets probably closer to when the book is actually going to get released because right now I do believe that they're uh, fundraising or, or at least uh, trying to finance the illustrations for the book right now uh, before it's actually released out to the public. Uh, 
he wanted me to talk about it, and then I think when it gets closer to release time, we're going to actually, uh, he's going to come on to the podcast, and we're going to talk about it. Um, so, it's called The Rat with the Bat, and here's a short little bit of it. The windows are boarded, the doors are locked tight, the dead walk around, and will do so all night. It's funny to think the worst part of our day were the rainy day slums and the skies that were gray. Oh, how I long to have nothing to do. We search all day for ammo and scout stores for food. We make runs through the houses and the truck stops nearby. Then we sit, 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 and pray not to die. Uh, and that's all I'm going to read on that because I don't want to go too much further into it because it's, it's really good and really interesting. But if that sounds like a, a Dr. Seuss book, that's because The Rat with the Bat is kind of the horror version of The Cat in the Hat. And it's, um, as I've talked with um, Peter and our correspondence, uh, he's writing this to kind of be like a fun introduction for children into the horror genre. And so uh, it's kind of like the cat with the hat, but a, a, a little bit different, obviously with the title being the rat with the bat. Uh, it's not so much that it's a, a cat coming to, you know, ruin or, or enliven the days uh, at the day of uh, two young kids but rather uh, a rat with a bat that is trying to survive the zombie apocalypse and happens to come upon two kids who have managed to survive uh, thus far and uh, he sent me about six pages uh, of the manuscript and I read it and I, I enjoyed it I enjoyed it quite a lot there's enough of it to uh, illustrate the uh, kind of the the parallels to the cat in the hat but it's still different um although i i know uh his intent is this to be more of a fun introduction to children it, there are some parts that might be a little bit too rough so maybe it's more meant for maybe younger teens you can see maybe somewhere around uh 10 to 12 maybe 13 years old because uh, it certainly gets, uh, I mean, and, and it's not too graphic or anything, but some of the stuff can and maybe be a little too much for, for really young kids. But it, it's it's really cool. It's really interesting. Um, I, I was actually mad that I only have a portion of it because I would love to read it and finish it. Um, it's certainly something that as my uh, niece grows older and my nephew grows older uh, and the book is out, I'll probably will visit with them and um, have them, you know, kind of enjoy it, and without, you know, obviously getting too scared. I kind of likened it to, to Goosebumps, and now I was a, at a young age when I started reading Goosebumps. I was reading Goosebumps in kindergarten, and um, but I wasn't necessarily a fan of the horror genre in kindergarten. It wasn't until probably about four years later that I finally, once I entered my teens, well, kind of my teens, when I was ten, it's a little bit before the teens, um, that I really developed my love for the horror genre. I, I would see some scary things here and there, and they would, you know, obviously terrify me at, the, at a young age. Um, but uh, I would read Goosebumps. I watched Are You Afraid of the Dark before I really developed my love for the genre. And I would say that uh, Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and, and those kind of fun kid horror things were a good primer. And this looks to be that way as well. And um, if the illustrations that they're going to have in the book are anything like the cover, that is definitely going to give you those Dr. Seuss vibes. 
and I would love for this to actually kind of be like a series. So I, I really hope that um, when the book releases, that it reaches a, a big audience and, and is able to um, bring in enough income for Peter to uh, continue on and do a, a series of books. Because I think there's a lot of material, you know, just one that comes to mind is Green Eggs and Ham. I can't imagine uh, what Peter can do with, with material like that. And and like I said, it, it's it's close enough to the Dr. Seuss material without being anything like a ripoff. I, I, that sounds really negative, but I mean, it's, it's, it's different enough that you don't feel like he's stealing from or disrespecting uh, Dr. Seuss in any way. Uh, I really enjoyed reading it. It was a really quick read. Um, and like I said, I, I kind of want to have the whole thing, and so I'm really excited. And uh, I haven't discussed with Peter yet when, when the book is releasing, um, but I think that's definitely something I'm going to talk about because I definitely want to talk about it when it, it launches. And uh, I look forward to having him on the show uh, at some point. Um, you know, we, he and I were going back and forth, and he was very, um, very uh, amenable to coming on to the podcast and discussing his love for the genre, his inspiration for the book, um, what he intends, what his, what his mission is with the book. And, and obviously, I mean, he's told me through correspondence that, you know, it is to introduce uh, a younger generation to the horror genre. And I, I think it'll do that. But if it's because, you know, the Dr. Seuss books kind of shoot, shoot or skew to a more younger audience. I think this is still kind of kind of be a, a little bit above that audience just because of the fact that so this uh, takes place during the zombie apocalypse. And so obviously when you think about zombie apocalypse and, and how you have to kill zombies, uh, it might be a little too scary for, for really young audiences, but a little bit older audience would probably find it enjoyable. And in fact, I would think that some adults would actually really like this, especially if they would want to have it kind of as a book to introduce their uh, growing children to the genre, if they uh, so desire. You know, it's something I would look at doing, obviously, because I love the horror genre so much. And um, if you want to... Um, follow uh peter on twitter or at least the book on twitter um i'm pulling up his twitter handle so i get it right uh, uh, do, 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 do. sorry for this i should have looked this up beforehand uh okay it's uh so it's at rat with the with the bat and uh, you know he's starting to get quite a bit of audience on there and if you want to look at the uh the cover art for the book uh that's up on the on the twitter page um they were running a contest but as today is sunday i'm a little bit late in recording this and obviously these come out on monday uh it would be a little bit too late but i did promote that they were doing a um a contest where uh people could send in pictures of themselves to have them turned into zombies for the book I was going to do it, but I I, uh, I ran out of time. I was working overtime this weekend. Honestly, I'm I'm lucky to be able to just get down, sit down, and, and record the podcast, uh, and that's why this episode might be a little bit shorter. I, I know I've said that on a couple, and I still ended up running for over an hour. Uh, but go follow go follow Peter's uh, books page on Twitter at, at Rat with the Bat. Um, 
you know, he and I connected on there, and, and then he start, we started corresponding, and um, I'm really glad we have. I'm really excited for this book. Uh, I look forward to finding out kind of more of a launch date window and then sitting down and interviewing him and d discussing the book and discussing his love for the genre and, and his influence for this. Um, so, yeah, go check him out. And as for what we're going to discuss about for the rest of the podcast, it's kind of going to be a little bit different um, than usual, only because of the movie that came out this weekend. Uh, this is kind of going to be a versus, but not really a versus, just kind of more of a, an examination of both films and kind of which one wins for me in the sense of what was done, uh, but also to kind of give you my review and my thoughts on, on both films because it had been a while since I'd seen the original and because Amazon likes my money, uh, they ran a deal on the complete series and so I ordered that and, uh, you know, since I did decide to go see the, the remake uh, this weekend, uh, I didn't quite get to fit it into my Thursday or my Friday schedule so I ended up seeing it after working my overtime from home on Saturday, I decided to go see it. Uh, so obviously that should be kind of a flag if you of course can't tell from the title of the episode or the uh, the image from the episode if you're looking at uh, listening to this on SoundCloud which quite frankly is the only place where this uh, podcast is available right now uh, we're going to be talking about Child's Play the original versus the remake and um, so I think the way I'm going to go about this first is I'm going to kind of talk about the original I'm not going to go in as much detail um, for either film, although I think I will talk mild spoilers about the, the remake because uh, it's kind of some things that lean into what I had issues with on the remake. Um, but I'll save that for the end of the podcast in case you have not seen it. So you can just tune out and come back later if you want to listen to it later. Um, so I'm going to talk about the original film uh, and the, the remake after that and then kind of do a compare and contrast and, and uh, give you my final review scores. So the original Child's Play, I believe that was out in 1988, the great year that I was born. Um, yes, 1988. And it starred um, Christine, uh, Catherine Hicks, uh, Chris Sarandon, and Alex uh, Vincent along with Brad Dourif who did the infamous uh, voice for Chucky for all of the films. And one thing also I do want to preface on that is I don't know what is kind of, I know there's some drama going on between the, because the original was done by Don Mancini, um, or at least I believe written by Don Mancini. I know he's gone to do basically every single sequel uh, since, and I know it's, I believe it's his creation, his characters. Uh, and they're, was drama with this reboot re slash remake uh, over kind of the fact that it was ignoring or the fact that there's a TV series being developed for the original Child Play series. I, I'm not sure. I didn't follow it too much. I've seen enough of the drama on Twitter uh, kind of recently, and I quite frankly, I feel like it's childish. Uh, I've heard rumors or stories that the filmmakers of the remake were being very mean to people uh, who are fans of the original. I can't say if any of that's true or not. It is all secondhand or thirdhand stories. Uh, but, you know, in all honesty, when it comes down to it, 
let the filmmakers be. Uh, I know I've had some issues with some remakes in, in the past, and um, this is one that falls into a different category for me. I, I kind of likened it to, or I liken it to uh, my feelings about the Robocop remake uh, and the Evil Dead remake. So we'll get into that more when I do the compare and contrast. But the original Child's Play dealt with uh, serial killer Charles Lee Ray um, being chased down uh, by a cop and getting shot and before dying transfers his soul into one of the good guy dolls before passing away. And... Um, and then you're introduced to Andy and his mom, Karen, and um, it's Andy's birthday, and he's a, you know, he wants one of these good guy dolls. Uh, Karen, as a single mother, is a little kind of strapped for cash, uh, manages to uh, find a peddler who uh, actually had picked up the uh, doll that uh, Chucky had put his soul into and and sells it to the mother for a a cheap price and uh, then of course after giving it to him for his birthday uh you know the murders start to happen and one of the um one of the cool things about this original film is andy being young being six and having trying to convey to the adults that Chucky is alive, that Chucky is the one doing the murdering, but no one believing him because he's a child, it's his imagination, that's all they think, and then obviously him becoming a suspect in the murders that go on in the film, um, minus one murder, uh, and being kind of that thing that no one will believe a kid, if a kid, even if a kid is telling the truth, um, you know, one thing that kind of strikes me is when, after uh, Maggie is pushed out the window, um, or knocked out the window, and uh, Andy is telling his mother what Chucky had called her, using very harsh language, Andy, at least what you see within the movie, is not exposed to any type of vulgar language his mother's very wholesome she you know is not just cursing around even maggie who gets a little bit kind of annoying and uh when she's putting andy to bed and kind of you know giving him a little bit of a hard time she doesn't really use any harsh language so um it, it's it's kind of surprising where it's like where did you learn those words that never kind of comes from karen the mother um at all and so it's like why why would you not question where your son had learned these these words if you've never heard your son speak these words he's never around in an environment now granted he they are living in 1980s chicago and i'm sure you would hear those words on the street or near school or from older kids but uh the fact that they didn't kind of explore that avenue a little bit uh kind of fascinated me but Anyways, going on, the, the effects are, are really good and, and still kind of hold up to this day. Now, obviously, there's some tricks with the camera that you can kind of tell that the, the doll is actually either a young kid uh, running around dressed up as Chucky or 
uh, you know, so, something to that effect that they're using, because you can obviously, with the time of when it was made, you couldn't just have an animatronic puppet all the time running around doing things. Uh, not without costing a, a, a lot of money. So it's, it's really nice that the effects still <laughs> relatively hold up. Um, some of the facial animations for them are a little bit weird, but um, like I'll talk about on the remake, they're, they're far better than, than the remake's uh, facial expressions. So, and one of the things that also really sells this movie and sells the franchise as a whole is Brad Dourif's um, uh, take on Chuck, his, his, his voice, the way he uh, creates and emotes the character just through his voice. Because, uh, you know, you only see Brad in there for five minutes maybe before, you know, dying and transferring his soul onto the, to the doll. So you don't really get to see the acting through the actor you're getting it through the voice, uh, um, through the voice acting, and I'm a big fan of voice actors. Obviously, loving video games, uh, listening to audiobooks, um, and and just even if you look at anime or, or animation, uh, cartoon animation projects. Voice acting is is I think on, a, on another level of acting because you only have so much to convey the emotion. You only have your voice. You don't really have your your eyes face you, you know your mouth to really emote your character so it requires a whole another level and a whole another I think extra ex expertise uh, on a extreme level to be able to convey things without having all of the uh, accoutrements of, of a regular acting job and um, so you know, I think he's what really sells the series, even when the series goes off the rails in the later uh, movies. This one's definitely probably one of the better of, I'm going to say the, the main trilogy for, for the series, because once you get to Bride and Chucky, it goes a little downhill. And then when you have uh, Curse and Cold of Chucky, I feel like that's kind of more of a tie to the... Uh, the first three films, even though there is ties to obviously Bride of Chucky in that one as well, uh, when you get the Cult of Chucky, um, I guess they're all connected. But it, it just gets weird when you get the Bride and, and Seed of Chucky. Um, anyways, I'm kind of derailing a little bit, but here, but going back to the original, just you know, kind of the the kills are pretty strong. Uh, the voodoo kills are, are really good, uh, or the voodoo kill is really good. Um, and very effective and for some reason when I was watching it today it kind of reminded me of Candyman I don't I don't know quite why because it's, it's not exactly Candyman era, uh, land but uh, it's it's it just something that kind of evoked that imagery evoked that feeling um, now one of the things I think the movie fails to do is to explain the voodoo stuff fully and it's been a while, and I'm revisiting the franchise since I've got gotten this series uh, now on Blu-ray. So I've only just rewatched the first one after years of years of years of the last time I'd seen it. Um, but uh, they don't really explain. They explain a little bit, but they don't explain like why Charles Lee Ray was trying to kind of subvert death to kind of become immortal was was the reason he was killing people before transferring his soul 
was that trying to sacrifice to some voodoo god or something like that to kind of try to live forever it's not really 100 percent clear and i can't remember if the later sequels um, talk about that much at all so uh, we'll see when i get those revisited but uh, what's really kind of strong with this film is performances of alex vincent and um, Catherine hicks because they do have the strong mother-son um, dynamic. Even the fact that Alex is uh, playing Andy at age six, I can't quite say that that's maybe the age that he, um, the actor was at the time, uh, but he uh, does such a good job of being a convincing young kid who's found himself in this situation where his doll is attacking and murdering people and uh, no one will believe him and just kind of the like little private conversations he has with Chucky where you hear, hear no dialogue and just the way it's kind of all very innocent. And that's what really kind of sells the trauma and the, the horror of this film. And, um, and that's what I think makes it so memorable to so many people and why there's more of a latch on to this franchise, maybe a little bit of a black backlash uh, to the, uh, this reboot. But um, that's kind of all I want to discuss about the original before kind of going in and giving it a final score. Um, now, to talk about the, the remake slash reboot, um, I only watched the first trailer for this film. I didn't really follow it closely. I, I liked that Aubrey Plaza was cast in it. Uh, Gabriel Bateman, who plays, I, th I would say this is maybe more of a 12-year-old Andy, um, is is a good uh, addition um one thing i've seen uh gabriel in of course i've seen him in lights out didn't realize that was him in lights out uh, i think i've seen him in some other little minor stuff uh, but he was in the wolfies just fine video uh, i believe the name of the song is called new beginning which uh, if you're not familiar with the song the song is about a uh, kids experience watching Friday the 13th A New Beginning for the first time and uh, the music video for that song is just perfect. I highly recommend one you go listen to the song and then two you go check out the music video but he is the young kid in that and uh, you have uh, Brian Tyree Henry um, in there as the detective in this film and uh, he's a great addition. I mean I didn't hear of this actor until uh, the first season of Atlanta and I really enjoyed him on there and I'm loving that he's getting more projects in, in uh, mainstream uh, Hollywood I mean the fact that he was the voice of Jefferson Pierce and in, in Into the Spider-Verse and uh, he's going to be in the upcoming Joker movie uh, he's starting to kind of break more into some more bigger roles in, in Hollywood and he might have been in some bigger roles before then but my, my first exposure to him was in Atlanta and uh, I'm very excited to see him getting more roles because he's a very talented actor and uh, unfortunately i think in this new one he's not given enough room he's given some room to do what uh he does but he just doesn't quite get to kind of spread his wings as much and and uh, do i think more of what um i would have liked to have seen him do but anyways going back to um the the kind of the, the reboot here uh I know when they released the first image of what Chucky was going to look like, it received some backlash. 
I thought it was okay, um, but it wasn't quite what I wanted or quite what I expected. Um, it looked just it just looks weird, and and it, and that continues on in the film when you actually see the film. Um, he doesn't really look good in, in my opinion until near the the last act of the film or the last third of the film um, you know there's there's stuff that they do with him early on and it just looks bad um, and that's not to say that the film is bad but just that the way that it looks is not great and um, and that goes to what I was saying previously about the facial animations and that's um, very evident early on when like Andy is trying to scare his um, mother's boyfriend and with Chucky and, and having him do these kind of like, okay, we'll smile really wide, now show your teeth, now growl. It just doesn't look great there. But later on, it seems like they kind of found what they were really trying to go for with the new look for, for Chucky. Um, but anyways, let's, let's kind of get back. To, I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So in this kind of updated version of um, Child's Play, they've removed the supernatural element from it completely. That's not a spoiler. I think that's been uh, kind of well known. They're going more with an updated modern take of modern technology and how it can go bad. And for an audience that... Um, was probably not around or not exposed to the original Child's Play movie, this movie will work for them a whole lot. And for the most part, it worked for me. Um, I, I have issues with it, but I, I did, let's just say I did not have an issue like I did with Pet Cemetery, and I'll explain that on um, later on here. But um, again, you have Karen, played by Aubrey Plaza, who's a fantastic actress. Uh, you know, being a single mom, having just moved to this new apartment, Andy kind of being more uh, teenaged than young, uh, being more of a loner. Um, they didn't go, they kind of like hint at stuff like with his dad uh, passing, but they never quite fully explained it. I kind of wish that, that, that they had revisited it later in the film, but they didn't. And so Andy's kind of more of a loner, antisocial person, like not willing to go out trying to meet people kind of just buried in his technology and one interesting update that they did to this but they didn't take advantage of it in my opinion is they they made him partially deaf and I thought that was an interesting choice and I was really interested in to see what they were going to do with that but it doesn't really go anywhere like I think about um Freddy's dead the final nightmare and uh I believe his name is Carlos is the character who is deaf and like when he loses his hearing aid in one scene and then he can't hear anything and everything and like he's got Freddy kind of moving around in the background making noise and doing all these hooting and hollering but Carlos can't hear him and then when he finds his hearing aid it turns into a super hearing aid that ends up causing his head to explode like not that I expected them to go to that detail but I kind of expected like something going on where Andy loses his hearing aid and then like Chucky's like stalking him in the background and like you're thinking oh crap like oh man he's right behind you he's right behind you but you can't hear like I was expecting some moments like that and we didn't quite get that so 
Uh, I thought that was kind of a missed opportunity, but um, it's got a kind of a whole new cast of characters. It can keeps the, the main story of, or the main premise of a, a kid and his friend, and where it goes differently isn't isn't so much that uh, that Chucky is trying to then possess Andy, but rather this this toy being so convinced by its like smart technology that it's it's only it can be Andy's best friend and uh, trying to remove all obstacles that are in the way. And Mark Hamill is a fantastic actor and a fantastic voice actor. Uh, you know, he's probably the best Joker um, when it comes to the voice of the Joker and the laugh of the Joker. But, you know, kind of when the movie starts off, like the movie starts off a little uh, wonky for me. It, it, it doesn't quite grab me in. Um, you know, it's it's the voice just doesn't quite work until it kind of turns into the more menacing, if I can speak, would help to be able to speak on a podcast, uh, tone to it. And um, and that's where kind of the performance, and, and it's nothing I think on, on Mark's fault, I think it's just what they were trying to go for. And with kind of the, the, the image of what this, uh, buddy doll is is supposed to be and uh, and you know I've seen some also conversations about Andy being too old to have this doll and yes even Andy says I'm too old for this but there's something about the fact that this toy being one a smart toy that can learn and and adapt and kind of its cuteness like that did work for me for a, kind of once I got past kind of the look of Chucky and some of the some of the stuff that they were doing with it kind of the the initial stuff with Chucky was kind of fun and cute and kind of showed why Andy becomes attached to it and um, and it even leads him to make friends and that's kind of a, an, another interesting aspect of it and what I liked and it's a whole new addition to uh, our dynamic to the film that is not expressed in the original although you know it's not really meant to be expressed in the original and uh, I really like that because then you have the friends who there's, you know, when you get to the final act in the, in the store, it's really fun and it really works for me. And it kind of is kind of like a Goonies moment or a Monster Squad moment that I, I really enjoyed and I thought was really cool and really fun. Um, the, the kills that are in it are few, but they are very strong and they lead to some really great moments in the film. And one, one other thing, um, and I don't know, I haven't really seen anyone else co uh, comment on this, but they probably have, is how this is kind of a messed up E.T. In the sense that, like, Andy wears kind of the red hood, red hoodie um, that Elliot and E.T. wears, and the fact that um, the Buddy doll can control devices with his finger and his finger lights up in the same kind of light that E.T.'s finger lights up, uh, I was kind of like thinking about it when there's a particular scene dealing with a car um, and he's moving his hand to kind of control the car and I'm like, huh, kind of like E.T. So I, I thought that was really kind of cool, really in interesting, but um, what just really doesn't kind of work for me in this film is, is the premise of why the doll goes bad. And, and uh, 
why it chooses the name Chucky other than it's kind of like a malfunction thing since it's kind of the same thing with the, you know Karen buying it from the peddler in the original this one is a return uh, and that they're saying that it's kind of like you know malfunctioning a little bit didn't look like it was working all that right so Karen manages to get the manager to kind of like just write it off because it's like, well they're just going to destroy it anyways they're about to come out with the buddy too um, so you know that 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 worked for me but just kind of the whole premise of why and we'll talk about this when i talk about the spoilers about why the doll goes bad is what doesn't quite work for me and um but the story is different enough from the original while in, in my opinion it respects enough of the source material and again it has a strong mother-son relationship the dynamic between aubrey and gabriel is really good the way he acts with the, the boyfriend is really uh, intense and really strong and like you can understand and feel for the kid the commentary it has on on modern day technology is very strong and that's why i think it will strike with a younger uh audience ones that maybe not have been exposed to the original child's play more because it, it is definitely commentary on like the new iphone or, or alexa um, it's it's got all or, or even Siri you know it, it's got kind of all these like calls to modern technology and and how we're kind of becoming super reliant on modern technology to kind of handle all, all these things for us so not only now are we in in this world of this you know movie um, are we relying on um, technology to then drive us from point a to point b or to ease things for us by like turning the television on or by turning the tv off or controlling the lights or controlling the music now we're relying on these toys to kind of be modern day babysitters for our children and for them to be able to learn and adapt and be able to accommodate our children's needs then therefore negating the need for parenting like how many times do you see parents nowadays and this isn't to be overly critical because heck i've done it when i've been babysitting my niece and nephew we put an ipad in front of them and we just let them be because it's the easiest way to to watch the kids um so that's where this really works for me and it's commentary about modern day technology and where i feel like it's more poignant than the original um but there there just seems to be a little bit missing from it. um it's got heart but i don't think all the heart's there for for me uh, the the final act is the best bit uh of the film just because it's it's kind of just it's it's crazy uh i don't think necessarily any of the other child's plays movies got this insane um and and it's just kind of fun the, the fact also i have to give props that i, I believe that for like 95 percent of the film if not all of it that the main chucky doll is animatronic it is not cgi maybe some of the facial expressions might be cgi but the doll itself is animatronic now there is some stuff in the final act that's cg but it's not overly cg like you're not getting hit with a lot of cg most of the kills are all very practical effects uh the the one super gruesome kill uh is really good and um i was very pleasantly surprised but where where it fails for me is just kind of the the premise of why it goes bad it doesn't do enough or it's it's weak it's weak on why the why 
the Chucky doll goes bad in this one. Um, and so I kind of miss the supernatural element, but at the same time, like I liked the commentary it had on modern technology and modern use of technology. So um, where I likened this to kind of the Robocop reboot is where I can give it more respect versus a reboot like the Pet Cemetery reboot. So the Child's Play reboot is a reboot of a film or a remake of a film. So the source material isn't necessarily solidified in novel or a creator's, I mean, it's a creator's baby, it's a creator's project, but um, where it's a book, like that source material is definite in my opinion. And that's why I got up so, so upset with the Pet Cemetery remake and the changes it made to try to differentiate itself from the original and from the source material. Whereas with the Child's Play remake, I'm more lenient with it because it's a remake of a film. And I, I feel like there's something a little bit different when you're remaking a film versus remaking a film based off of a book. And so like the Robocop reboot, um, while a lot of people didn't quite like it, I liked it because again, it was more of an update of the times we live in. Now, there were some issues I had with it, but the just again, idea of modern technology and kind of the socio-political economic world we lived in or we live in now versus when we lived in the 80s and like the 1980s robocop film is definitely a movie that's a commentary on the time that it lives in uh or was made in and same with and i would say the same with the reboot of that and i would now say that that's not so much that the original child's play is, is a commentary of the time that we lived in but this one is the commentary of the time that we live in currently and it's very strong and it's very poignant and that's what kind of actually made me enjoy this remake i i was not very optimistic about it uh i remember being so terrified of the original brad Dourif's voice being so iconic as chucky and kind of the the design choices and the story choices that they were going to make with this new one really had me worried about it and i really wasn't sure i wanted to get out and go see it now that i saw it i go okay yes this works for the audience of today and uh and mark hamill's voice really works when you get to the end and it does kind of hint at potentially a sequel if they are so lucky to get a sequel um i think it i don't know where a sequel would go but i think that at least they have the ability to do it and i would like to know how they got from point a to point b when you reach the end of, after you reach the end of the film and um so when it comes down to review scores for both films i think with the original child's play um because i find it far more effective and far more scarier i'm going to give that one a four uh and for the reboot i'm going to give a 3.5 and that's it's primarily for the design choices and how Chucky looks and the premise of why Chucky goes bad. And again, I'll go into that in the spoilers here in the, uh, shortly. Um, and which one wins for me, obviously, will be the original Child's Play, just because it's so iconic to me. I mean, it was around, I would see it on TV all the time as a kid. Uh, that doll scared the living daylights out of me. So it's had a more lasting impact and i was exposed to it first i think an audience that is exposed to this chucky first 
will have the inverse reaction where this will be their Chucky, this will be their child's play movie, where they'll look at the original, maybe respect it for what it is, but go, hey, it's dated. Hey, this this supernatural aspect doesn't work for me. The technology aspect does, considering everything we hear about, you know, the Alexa's listening in on you or, uh, you know, Google spying on you and, and stuff like that and the adaptive learning and algorithms of every click on the internet and kind of having your daily traffic kind of monitored by all these different devices that then learn and develop these algorithms that then kind of suggest or point you into directions or to products that you might want or to do things that you might want to do. So I can see why some people might prefer this over and I can and so that's why when I look at kind of some of the drama that I've seen between fans of the original and and the people behind this new one I think it's a little unwarranted because they've they've made it their own while respecting enough of the source material but then not obviously ripping off the source material and I don't I didn't feel any disrespect in the film I didn't see them making any kind of offhand jokes of stuff done in the original um, I think that they've they respected it enough to be like okay we're going to keep the mom and the son and then we're going to change every kind of thing else about it and we're going to then make it our own thing and make it our own film which i can respect 100 percent. i mean that's that's pretty much what the robocop reboot did that's pretty much kind of what the evil dead remake did and that's where i can respect it now like i said if there had been a book written called child's play and it was all about you know Charles Lee Ray and and the soul possession stuff and then they did this I would I would have more of an issue um like I did with Pet Cemetery because that's to me then very disrespectful really disrespectful of the original source material whereas movies I think if you're going to remake them and they've had no initial basis in anything other than the film that was originally made uh I think that's more open uh, to have more leeway into uh, being more interpretive and more uh, open to different expression and, and different avenues of where they want to take the story. So, yeah, the, the original Child's Play wins for me, but uh, I will say that this, this kind of update works enough that I think if you were kind of hesitant to go see it, go out and see it. Just accept it for what it is. Uh, maybe you'll like it, maybe you won't like it. Uh, just just kind of show it, just give it some benefit of the doubt. I, I was giving it very little benefit of the doubt, and maybe maybe my expectations were extremely low, and that's why it, it surprised me more. Um, so, yeah, I think that's all I got to say on it before moving into the spoilers. So, uh, I think that's going to do it for the non-spoiler section of the podcast. So if you're going to jump out now, um, I'm sorry for a shorter episode this week. Uh, it's been really kind of busy at work and I didn't even think I was going to get a chance to record. So uh, if this seems a little rushed and a little kind of not up to par to my other episodes, I apologize. Uh, yeah, it's just been busy, busy time and I don't normally record on Sundays and Sundays are like my days that I don't like to do anything. So, you know, I'm really surprised that I actually got myself to sit down and, and talk about the film so uh, we'll we'll check you out next time um, we'll see what's uh, coming out I think Annabelle comes home 
I'm um, gonna be checking that out with a friend um, next weekend. Next, there might be an episode next weekend. I do have a, a cousin's wedding that might kind of if I can get in a chance to record. If I depending on when I get to see Annabelle comes home, if I can fit in a recording on Friday night, um, or if I get to see it on Saturday, maybe get the record on Saturday. I don't know if I can do another Sunday uh, recording, but so there might be an off week next week. Not 100% sure yet, but uh, you know, just stay tuned to my Twitter, and uh, if there's any films that you want me to talk about, um, just, you know, send me a, an email at criticsnotcynics at gmail.com, or follow me at, on Twitter at criticsntcynics, and just hit me up on there. You know, I'm, I'm definitely willing to talk about people's projects and stuff. Like I said, that's how uh, Peter and I um, uh, met and interacted and uh, been able to talk about his book and promote his book. Uh, and looking forward to sitting down and talking with him about about the book uh, in the future. And, uh, you know, I've got all these screeners that I still need to manage to fit in time to, to kind of watch and review here on the podcast. Uh, but, you know, uh, things will keep on turning. So, you know, even if you guys don't have anything that you specifically want to uh, hear talked about on the podcast, don't worry. There's plenty of material out there. All right, guys. Well, if you're going to stick around for the spoilers, it's going to start here in a couple seconds. All right. So here's, again, spoiler warning. The reason why Chucky kind of goes bad in this remake is um, the film opens up in Vietnam at, like, one of these, you know, sweatshop factories where they're building the toys very cheaply. And this guy is kind of just dozing off at his desk. And his boss comes over and starts yelling at him and telling him, okay, fine, finish this doll, and then you're gone. I don't want to see you here anymore. And so this guy um, is very vindictive, and then he just removes all the inhibitors on the chip, the microchip that's supposed to have all these safety functions uh, to prevent anything like this from happening. And then he inputs the chip into the Chucky doll, ships it on, and then he commits suicide. I felt that was very weak. I thought that was very much a cop-out. Uh, we've all had bad days at work. I've certainly had quite a few bad days at work, but it's not ever quite that bad that I'm like, ooh, well, this will show them, but also I'm gonna go jump off the building and commit suicide so I don't even get to sit back and laugh at the destruction that I've caused for this multi-million dollar company and all the lawsuits that are gonna come from me by, by doing this. Because it's not like they would have been able to necessarily trace it down to his station that he was the person who did it. So he could have just like sat in the in in the background unnoticed and been just kind of like taking pleasure in the pain that he caused the the company. What I <clears throat> would have preferred maybe that they happen because they do have a thunderstorm going on, which I I believe is supposed to be kind of you know an homage to when Charles Lee Ray does his little incantation and and then uh, transmits his soul and then the lightning bolt strikes the, the toy store. Um, I would have preferred that the doll had been built but like hooked into whatever electronics to the building and then you know lightning strikes the building and the power surge causes something to go wrong with the chip. Because that to me then would have made sense that okay no one had any control over this there was no external input this just happened because of a freak accident no one had any malicious intent and then it being an adaptive learning 
uh, AI, then when it's getting exposed to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 and, and kids being kind of violent, uh, then kind of adapting this more murderous personality, uh, that would have worked more for me than uh, this vindictive employee who is just pissed off because he just got fired and then goes and commits suicide. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work for me. Um, so that's where I really kind of have to take off some points. I have to take off a point for the design for the Chucky doll because it, it, until it gets into that third act and they're in the in the uh, in the market and Andy's trying to save his mom, um, he doesn't really look great. You know, it just doesn't look right. Uh, the the facial stuff just just did not work for me. But I, I just had a hard time going. Oh, because this guy is pissed that this this his boss is being a dick to him he's going to create a murderous doll by an uninhibiting um its learning functions and its you know speech regulator and so then it turns into this psycho it, it just felt weak i would have just rather it been a freak accident lightning bolt strikes chip gets fried so that there's no control um there's no one openly responsible for it and then the fact that the guy kills himself like why why kill yourself if, if you i mean i understand like it's probably because now he has no money now he has no income now he's just going to starve out in the streets of vietnam but wouldn't you want to kind of see the results of your machinations like you did this don't you want to see the hell it's going to cause for the company that you're working for pennies for and that you just got fired from and to be like haha i did this to you you know that's where I can take my pleasure from this that you know would have even made sense to me a little bit but I would have rather it been a freak accident no one knew this was going to happen they just assumed that everything was fine like they wouldn't have run a diagnostic on the chip or anything um, or you know you even have it working and uh, Andy leaves it outside and it rains and the water fries the chip something like that you know I just, I would have preferred something more innocuous than someone having malicious intent to uh, get back at this company. But regardless of that, I still enjoyed it. Uh, I would definitely recommend it. I probably will purchase this. I'll definitely purchase this over Pet Cemetery any day. So uh, that's it. I think we're going to wrap it up here for this weekend and for this week's episode of Critics Not Cynics. And I want to thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, if you stuck around for the spoilers and we'll see you next week. All right, guys.